0: Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. So what is the direct path? Welcome to episode number 97. Today, I'm talking to Rupert Spira. He's a spiritual author and teacher of the direct path and the ancient method of self-inquiry. I ask you to sit down, relax, and take in this beautiful and valuable recording. Rupert, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: You know, I saw a quote from you. You said, Instead of spending a life trying to find happiness, turn around and investigate the one that seeks. Who is the one that seeks?
1: The one that seeks is the one that we call ourself, me, I. I long for happiness. So the one that is seeking happiness is ourself. And so the suggestion in this quote, rather than um, adding the search for happiness onto ourself, we investigate the self who is seeking. And in fact, uh, I would suggest that that is, that, that, that that investigation is in fact the path, the direct path to happiness.
0: Happiness would be a byproduct of finding yourself. Yes. Yes. And peace.
1: Yes, exactly. Or another way of saying that would be that uh, peace and happiness are the very nature of ourself, but in order to um, avail ourselves of the peace and happiness that are our essential nature, We first have to know ourselves as we truly are. Now, everybody knows their self to a certain extent. In fact, we all refer to I in our thoughts and words numerous times every day. So we all have a sense of I, a sense of being myself. But not everybody knows their self clearly. And it is this lack of clear self-knowledge that is, I would su- suggest, is responsible for veiling the peace and happiness that are the nature of
0: ourself. Mm. So we're talking self-inquiry to find ourself, our Buddha nature, if you will, our Christ nature, our real self, our spirit, whatever term we want to use.
1: Yes, the the, the traditions um, refer to our essential self sometimes in one tradition as as the Buddha nature, in uh, another tradition as the Christ nature, to indicate that our essential self is impersonal. It is utterly intimate, but it is impersonal, by which I mean it doesn't share the limitations of our personal experience, thoughts, images, feelings, sensations, all these are personal, unique experiences. But our essential self or or being, whilst intimate, doesn't share the limited qualities of our experience. And that is why in these traditions it is given an impersonal name, a name that suggests it is something much bigger, than the personal self that most people believe and feel their self to be.
0: Self-inquiry is a very interesting practice. I've played around with it. Uh, It seems to have become more popular in the modern era through the work of Ramana Maharshi. The first thing is we have to watch our thoughts, witness, our thoughts this is not an easy thing for the average person right
1: actually watching our thoughts is not really a part of the practice of self inquiry it is a a very common practice in in the spiritual traditions Witnessing. but it's not yeah. We're witnessing our thoughts, witnessing our feelings, witnessing our sensations and perceptions. But it's not actually what is meant by self-inquiry. When we witness our thoughts, feelings, sensations and perceptions, we are giving our attention to each of these, to our thoughts. We are witnessing our thoughts, looking at our thoughts, observing our thoughts, recognizing ourselves as the observer of them. However, in self-inquiry, we are observing ourself. We are giving our attention not to our thoughts, feelings, sensations and perceptions. We are giving our attention to ourself. So it's not quite the same as observing one's thoughts. I'm not suggesting that observing one's thoughts is not a legitimate practice, but it's not what is referred to as self-inquiry.
0: Ramana Maharshi says that self-inquiry is the the best straightforward path to self-realization if i'm not mistaken he says that that and devotion are the like the one to
1: self self-inquiry i i think and self-surrender yes are the two paths that he recommended as being the most the most easy, the most direct and the most effective, yes.
0: Even over meditation?
1: Well, if by meditation uh, you mean the focusing of your attention onto an object of experience such as the breath or a flame or a teacher or a mantra, then yes, he would recommend self inquiry over meditation, because in meditation, we are directing our attention away from ourself towards the object of experience, at least in the initial stages of meditation. So let's, let's take mantra meditation as an example. When one sounds a mantra, you give your attention to the mantra. You are directing your attention away from yourself towards an object, albeit a subtle object, a sound, the mantra. It's also true to say that as one continues in this practice, that the mantra gets quieter and quieter and you repeat it less and less frequently. So more and more space opens up between repetitions. And during this space, the attention gradually sinks backwards or inwards into its source. So the mantra is really a a halfway stage, it is a a stepping stone. It is given to one who is used to paying attention to 10,000 things, and as a result, can't immediately sink their attention into the into its source, the heart of awareness. So as a concession to such a mind, the teaching says, okay, instead of paying attention to 10,000 things, just pay attention to one thing. And this steadies the mind. And when the mind is steady, it can then begin to subside into its source. Now, self-inquiry is just the direct subsidence of the mind into its source without having to go via an object of experience.
0: But we got to ask a question, right? Either who am I or what's aware, who's aware?
1: Yes, self-inquiry is, at least in the early stages, initiated by a question whose purpose is to invite the mind away from its objective content back towards its source. Now, of course, as you As you say, Ramana Maharshi's favorite question was, who am I or from where do my thoughts come? But uh, it's possible to ask any such question. For instance, am I aware? In order to answer the question, am I aware, you have to go to the same place in yourself that you go to when you answer the question, who am I or where do my thoughts come from? So it's not That the the actual question itself is not important. It is where the question takes you in your experience that is Mm. important. And it's also important to to, um, just to point out that the asking of the question is not really what is meant by self-inquiry. It it is just a prelude to self-inquiry. It sets your mind in the right direction.
0: It shifts the attention, right?
1: It shifts the attention from its objective content to its source. Instead so, of following the attention outwards towards an object, we trace the attention inwards towards ourself.
0: So and the yes.
1: question, the purpose of the question is to facilitate that turning around of the attention. But once it has done that, we should not go on asking the question, because as long as we are actually asking the question, we are giving our attention to the question to something objective
0: so here here's my tea in my hand so using self inquiry can i say who's aware of drinking the tea you could
1: start with that yes and then what would the answer be to who 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 is drinking the tea or who is aware of the tea the answer is obviously i am well, then the next question, okay, who is this I that is aware of the
0: T? Well, there's yeah. two. There's the ego, false self, the personality, and then there's the beingness, right?
1: Well, but we don't actually feel that we are two entities. Everybody feels that I am one uh, one person, oneself, one self, uh, one however we describe it. So conceptually we might conceptualize these two but actually in our experience we all feel that every moment I, I am one person I am one entity I am one being. So at this stage it's not it's not important in fact it's best not to defi- predefine what this I is. It's more important because this is an experiential. Investigation—it's not an intellectual investigation. Of course, we are now uh, rationalizing it, and, and but, but it's, it's, it's important that the investigation remains experiential. So, when we say who, who is aware of the taste of tea, we don't feel oh, there are two eyes—not the, the, e E-Y-E, y e—the letter I. There, there are two selves that are that is that are aware of the tea. Which one am I really? We think. There is one self called myself or me or I who is aware of the tea. Now, who is that? What is that? What is its nature? That is self-inquiry.
0: And so could someone sit there and ponder these questions off of tea for minutes and minutes, hours and hours, or is it just a quick thing? For someone...
1: Who is coming across this approach for the first time? It may require require some time. So, for instance, uh, let's imagine that we ask someone who has never heard about this before, um, who who is it that is experiencing the, the taste of tea? And the answer is, well, I am. And then the next question was, who? Okay, who who is this I? And then their next. Uh, um, the next answer is well it, it is this body okay so this body is something that you experience yes it is a, you experience it as a flow of sensations and perceptions uh, presumably they'll they'll agree with you and then you ask them that who is it that experiences this flow of sensations and perceptions that we call the body well it's obviously me it's obviously i that experiences the body okay i experience the body I am not identical to the body. So who is this I that experiences the body? Oh, well, okay. we think about that a bit. I must be it must be the mind. Well, what do we mean by the mind? The mind is a a flow of thoughts, images and perceptions. It's can a thought experience the taste of tea? Obviously not. Can an image or a perception experience the taste of tea? Obviously not. So when we say it is the mind that experiences the taste of tea. What what do we mean exactly? What what, what do we mean by mind? It's obviously not a thought or an image or a feeling or a perception that experiences the taste of tea. And in this way, the person is, they are tracing their way back. First of all, they thought it was was my eye, my tongue that was tasting the tea, then it was my mind, then it was, we go back and back further. And this process may take some time to begin with. And and everything that seems at first to qualify as I, the body, the our thoughts, our perceptions, these are discarded. It's not my body that experiences the tea. It's not my thoughts. It's not my perceptions. A, we discard everything. And in this, we are tracing our way back to our essential self. This is the process of self-inquiry. And eventually we... We cannot. We get to a place in ourselves, if, if we can call it a place in ourselves. We get to a place in ourselves where we can't go back any further. We just arrive at the, the raw fact of being aware, irrespective of what we are aware of. Now, to answer your question about time, this may take ten or fifteen minutes to begin with, because you have to discard each possible uh, the body, the man. You have to discard everything. Uh, 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 one by one, after you've done that a few times, you no longer need to go through the whole process. What took you 20 minutes the first time takes you two minutes after a couple of days. And then after a while, you no longer you you actually no longer need to even ask the question. The question is just to, to take you to the to the to the right place in yourself. So very quickly, self inquiry. It no longer need be initiated by a question or a line of reasoning. The impulse comes up, you notice your experience. You might have one question, but what is it that is aware of this? And you go straight back to the fact of being aware. And in fact, self inquiry then gives way to self abidance. You're no longer questioning your experience. You are abiding as that which is aware and that is really the, the essence of self inquiry. Self inquiry in fact is better translated, I would suggest, as self abidance. It, it you, in the literature you see it translated. It, the term is Atma Vichara, and it is sometimes translated self inquiry, sometimes self abidance. Well both are are reasonable translations, but self inquiry I would suggest is the early stages, or it is the prelude to self abidance which is really the essence of self
0: to me it it almost seems like a reprogramming almost like like we were we were socially engineered to become like these kind of thinking machines these dream seeking robot type humans and then self-inquiry kind of breaks that because if if i'm Say I'm out on the porch drinking my tea, watching the birds, and my mind drifts off to a mental rehearsal. This is a new term that I just discovered, mental rehearsals. Uh, It's something my mind does a lot. It's automatically programmed to rehearse something that hasn't happened. So in other words, a week ago, I may have, in my mind had a conversation with you preparing for this interview, it may only last 20 seconds. But with self-inquiry, I can stop that by saying, what's aware of the thought, right? Am I, am I on or off? It's
1: true. Uh, you, you can, at, at any moment of experience, you can, so to speak, press the pause button and instead of following the train of thought or the the activity that you are engaged in, you can, so to speak, pause and ask yourself who or what it is that is aware of this process of thinking or, or acting. But I think it's important to point out that this doesn't imply in any way that there's something wrong with thinking or acting or indeed that there was something wrong in you preparing for this interview. It's very natural, if you're going to give an interview, that you prepare for it. Or that if you're going to cook a meal, you have to make a, a shopping list of your ingredients. Sure. So, but,
0: and I understand that. But the mental rehearsal auto-thought it could also be for doctor's appointments. I, I mean, it can really spiral yes out of control
1: of course course it's very true that the vast majority of our of our thinking it serves no um purpose practical or or positive purpose it it is a um a mechanical habit that we have um that has been programmed into us
0: yeah that's why i call them auto thoughts they just they just come they're just automatic from the subconscious somehow
1: Yes. And they, I would suggest they also, they serve a purpose. These thoughts, they, in most cases, the thoughts that don't have a positive or uh, practical or creative function, they they serve a purpose to deflect our attention away from uncomfortable feelings. So that they are the, the kind of easiest and commonest form of addiction. In more extreme forms, when we have uncomfortable feelings, we we, we go for the, to, to the fridge or, or the bottle or the cigarette or the the drugs or whatever it is. Um, whereas uh, compulsive thinking is the most benign form of addiction. In fact, it's so addiction mm-hmm. it for most people doesn't even register as an addiction. Right? It's not. Right. It's not expensive. It's free.
0: Yeah,
1: it's not dangerous. It's not bad for your health. So there are, uh, there are no obvious repercussions at a physical or mental level that there are repercussions, but they're not immediately obvious to, to compulsive thinking. So for, for most people, compulsive thinking remains uh, below the, the it, it, below the radar, so to speak. It is not diagnosed as an addictive habit, but, but it is an addictive habit. And like most addictions, its purpose is to deflect our attention away from unbearable feelings, mm. feeling of emptiness, of loneliness, of sorrow, of anxiety, shame, guilt. We take off into a fantasy about the future and we forget about our sorrow, our shame. It gives us relief from our sorrow in the same way that a glass of wine or, or a, um, a YouTube clip or, or...
0: Yeah, it's a distraction.
1: It's a distraction from... It's a sort of smokescreen, an effective or reasonably effective smokescreen that prevents us having to fully face and feel unbearable
0: emotions. Well, some people are just gonna daydream regardless right even if they live a so-called happy life um i'm sure uh i don't know lebron james as an example one of the most famous athletes in the world okay you'd have to say he's living a good life he's living on his dream he's got tons of money does he daydream i'd have to say probably uh <laughs> unless he's doing self-inquiry on the low and meditation we don't know but uh you know, this, this, this dreaming habit that the mind has, how do we stop it? Or do we not stop it? Do we just ignore it?
1: Trying to stop the mind is an activity of the mind and more or less subtly perpetuates it. So I would suggest that Much of the mind's activity is orientated towards finding peace and happiness. Once we find the peace and happiness that are the nature of our being, the mind's activity, at least that part of it that is not uh, positive, creative, the, the, the uh, practical that part of the mind's activity comes to an end naturally, effortlessly, spontaneously, not from not through discipline or effort or practice, but through understanding. Why? Because the impulse that generated much of the mind's activity has subsided, in other words, our su- suffering. it has subsided. And therefore, there is no longer any need to escape from our current situation. And therefore, that part of the mind's activity, whose purpose was to escape from our current circumstance, subsides, leaving us in the, in in the present in peace.
0: How about your mind? Is it only used as a tool at this point?
1: Mostly, yes. I won't say that there are. My, my mind never has. Uh, daydreaming thought that there's you know that there are old habits still linger in the mind but that by far the larger part of the mind's activity whose purpose was to seek happiness in objective experience has has subsided
0: hmm. and what kind of doors does that open up or is it just that peace and happiness that you spoke of
1: yes it it, it you must, the, you must
0: vibrate at a higher level. Just, you know, there's energy involved here.
1: It just means that the, the peace and the joy that are the nature of our being is available to us all the time. We don't expect our circumstances to provide peace and happiness for us. We realize mm. that our peace and happiness is prior to and independent of our circumstances. Mm. Well so said, it, yeah. It's what it's what Krishnamurti referred to when, when he said, I don't mind what happens. What he was really saying was my, my peace and my well-being are not dependent on the content of my experience. They are prior to it and independent of it. And therefore he was at peace all the time.
0: What if someone's going through a tough time, though? Illness, anxiety, insomnia. What if somebody's going through a tough time like that? What can they do to relieve themselves?
1: um, These are three very different examples you've given me. Illness, anxiety, and insomnia. And and they require three very different Mm. solutions. Yeah. Can we say what about if one is suffering psychologically or emotionally?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So this is not, um, we're not talking about um, having broken your arm.
0: Right.
1: That, that, That pain, physical pain is involved there. I make a distinction between physical pain and emotional or psychological suffering. So we're talking now about Psychological suffering. So, for instance, anxiety. So, if we ask ourselves, who is is it that is anxious? Who is lonely? Who is upset? Who is jealous? Questions like this. These are all instances of psychological or emotional suffering. The answer to all these questions is, I am. I'm upset. I'm anxious. I'm lonely. Okay, well then let's explore this I. Try to find this I. Uh, Your body is obviously not lonely. A body can't be lonely. A thought can't be lonely. An emotion can't be lonely. It is you who is lonely. Okay, let's look for this you. When you go inside yourself, you You find thoughts, images, feelings, memories, sensations, perceptions. Can you find the you, the I, the me on whose behalf these emotions arise? And if we keep on looking inside ourselves, we eventually come to the fact of being aware or awareness itself. Well, awareness is like an open, empty space. It's like the space in your room. I can see your your fan is um, rotating uh, rapidly on the uh, um, on the ceiling above you. It is the, are the blades of the fan hurting, upsetting, or disturbing the space of your room? Not at all. The nature of the space of your room remains the same, whether the fan is turning or not. Well, awareness is like that. Mm. It is not disturbed by the content of experience. It's like an open, empty, allowing space, aware space. So it's not awareness that is upset. So who is upset? When you say I am upset? It's not the body. It's not a thought. It's not a perception. It's not awareness. Well, there isn't any other I. The I who is upset, lonely, afraid, anxious, guilty, etc., is a fictitious I, an illusory I, who has existed in us, as us, all these years, simply because we have not seen its nature clearly. If we were to look in ourselves and see clearly the nature of that which we call I, we would recognize this just the openness of awareness. And that one is not upset. And that is why it is said that this path is, is the direct path to peace. It is the direct path to the end of suffering. It is really the, the, the end of the imaginary self who was suffering. And once that self has been um, seen to be illusory, the suffering which arose on its behalf can no longer stand.
0: And if somebody is suffering from the three things I mentioned, could the practice of self-inquiry help them if they were taught correctly?
1: Yes. Yes, it could. It would help with that aspect of their circumstance, which was dependent upon their belief in being a temporary, finite, separate self. So, the, the extent to which their insomnia or their illness, or their, uh, it's always suffering, but the extent to which their insomnia or their illness was dependent on and an expression of the belief in being a separate self, then this investigation would clear up at least a degree of their illness or their insomnia. However, it wouldn't necessarily cure them of their illness because part or all of their illness may not be the result of the belief in separation.
0: Well, a physical illness like uh, irritable bowel syndrome or something like that, that's physical. That's
1: Yes, Ramana Maharshi died of cancer, I believe. So did Nis- Nisargadatta. Uh,
0: that
1: the, these illnesses were not presumably the result of an expression or an expression of the sense of separation. Now, there, there are other illnesses that may be compounded at least partly by the belief that we are temporary, finite, separate selves, that that belief does have an impact on the body. And and if it is chronic over many years, then it could turn into illness. But I want to be very careful here. I I think we have to be, to make it very clear, or I would like to make it very clear, that I'm not suggesting that all illness comes from the belief that we are temporary, finite, separate selves. It, it, It doesn't.
0: Anxiety is an interesting one because anxiety is pretty much somebody dwelling on the future too much, somebody worrying about something that hasn't happened.
1: Who would be that one? It's obviously not the body that is anxious, although anxiety has an impact on the body, but it's not the body itself who is anxious. Now, A thought cannot be anxious, although it can express the feeling of anxiety, but it's not the thought itself that is anxious. And awareness is obviously not anxious. Awareness, as we said before, is like an open, empty space. So who is the anxious self?
0: Right. So if somebody is having anxiety and they know this practice, they can take a pause and say, who is anxious right now? Yes. I am anxious right now.
1: I am anxious. But who two, is I? Two, two days ago, I was not anxious. I was in love, let's say. Well, if you can be in love one moment and anxious the next moment or the next day and tired the next day and hungry the next day and upset the next day, then tiredness, coldness, loneliness, upset cannot be essential to you. They visit you from time to time. If anxiety was who you really are, then you would always be anxious, even when you were deeply asleep. Mm -hmm. But you're not your anxiety comes, it lingers, and it vanishes. You don't feel it for three days, it comes back again, you feel it for an afternoon, and it vanishes. So anxiety is added to you. It is not who or what you are. Now, what is the I, when it has been divested of all these temporary feelings? When it Prior to the anxiety, to the fear, the shame, the guilt, the sorrow, the loneliness, who is the I? The I am before it is qualified by experience. It's like asking, what well, what is the essential nature? It's just an analogy. What's the essential nature of the movie after all the temporary images that that, that, that um, constitute the movie have been removed. If you take away all the images, what remains just the transparent screen? Well, that's the I am is the transparent screen of awareness that is not itself conditioned by any particular experience. It is pure naked, self aware being and its nature is Peace and joy. That's what, that's what the experience of peace and joy are. It's just the awareness of being, before it is qualified by experience.
0: So, an, a, a new practitioner of self-inquiry, once they get back down to their I, their real I, their beingness, their essential self, as you call it, then what? It's just kind of a oh, okay and then move on and do it again when it comes up?
1: Well, you, you, you say, you say, then what, but who is asking, then what D- does awareness ask, then what does no. your being say that? No, there, there's no, then what the, the, the one who asks then then what is the one who feels discomfort with their present circle. I don't like what is happening. What, what next? When you are happy, you never ask the what next question because you've got what you want. You don't want what's next when you're happy. You want (laughs) this. So there is no what next when you're happy, when you're at peace.
0: But a new practitioner isn't going to have that peace and happiness right away. It's going to take some time.
1: Of course. Through force of habit, the old... uh, um, thoughts and feelings will return again. And so instead of following them as we would normally do and start trying to um, arguing with our partner or or our colleague or our neighbor or trying to change our circumstances in order to to uh, get rid of our anxiety, which we know perfectly well doesn't doesn't work instead of doing that. We we remember, oh, yes, go back to myself. who is it that is anxious? I am anxious. Who am I really? Is anxiety essential to me? No. And anxiety is like a, a t-shirt that I put on, on the morn in the morning. I may wear it most of the day, but it's not me. I can take it off. In fact, I don't even need to take it off. I can be aware of my naked being underneath the anxiety. And my naked being is inherently free of the anxiety. We don't need to. You don't need to touch the anxiety. You don't need to have to get rid of you don't need to get rid of it or discipline it or it will eventually it will leave by itself simply because you are no longer reinforcing it by believing I am anxious because this is going to happen to me. No, you 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 understand and feel that your essential naked being is prior to and independent of experience. It is free. It is at peace. It doesn't need to be made such. It simply is such. It only need be recognized as such. And in time, the anxiety will just leave you because its foundation has been removed or rather hasn't been removed. It was never really there to begin with. But the belief...
0: It was all here in the head.
1: Exactly. The belief, I am a temporary finite self that is subjected to what's going to happen in three weeks time, Uh, that, that separate self has been seen through. You have seen the true self, the only self, this open, empty, luminous, spacious
0: awareness. Thoughts typically create emotions. Emotions create our mood, which affects our nervous system, which then may create a physical response. That's kind of the the map of anxiety
1: yes and it? it can go the other way of course as as, as well um, physical actions can can create feelings feelings can create thoughts but yes all, all of these elements of our um experience interact with each other yes
0: yes but when you absolutely know that you are not you you are just being this you are well,
1: you know that you are It's just it's not that you you know that you're not you you, you, you you're still you, but, but but the you is the real you. A in you other mean. words, that, uh, I don't want to suggest that there is nothing in our experience that corresponds to the name I. I is the name we give to our unqualified being. In most cases, I is the name we give to our qualified being. Now we've recognized I is the name we give to our unqualified being. And this doesn't even mean that Thoughts cease arising. Thoughts continue to arise. There's just a certain category of thoughts that no longer continues to arise. And that is the thoughts that depended upon the belief. I am a temporary, finite, separate self. Those thoughts cease arising. But other thoughts like you need to make dinner and you may need to make a list of, of uh, a shopping list or you need to prepare for an interview or you're making a trip. Or, you know, th- these are practical thoughts that they're, they're not thoughts that arise on behalf of a temporary, finite, separate self. Thoughts, another example, for instance, thoughts such as the thoughts that you and I are now having. Thoughts whose purpose is to investigate truth or reality. These are thoughts that arise on behalf of our love of truth, not on behalf of a separate self. So
0: these kind of thoughts continue. Speaking of awareness, it's interesting how we can place awareness on anything, pretty much. We can place it on a tree. We can place it on our hand. We can place it on drinking tea. What what you're saying is we're taking that awareness and we're kind of... We're placing awareness on awareness,
1: right? Yes. Yes. If I understand you correctly, we we normally think that awareness is an attribute of a person or of a body, that that awareness is a a faculty that a body has or possesses or, or that a person possesses. This person is aware which suggests that awareness is a faculty that a person has, which which in turn suggests that the person is primary and awareness is something they acquire, use and lose. Now, I would suggest that that that's a mistake, that it's not a person who is aware, it is awareness who is aware. Only awareness is aware. The person, what we call the person, which is this this bundle of thoughts, images, feelings, sensations, perceptions, activities, and relationships. These are things we are aware of. They are not themselves aware.
0: Awareness can be very powerful. Uh, Attention is another term, right? Pretty much the same thing. Awareness, attention.
1: Uh, Attention we could say is the directing of awareness. Mm. towards an object, be that object, a physical object, a a, a glass of water, a a subtle object such as a thought, a sensation such as the tingling sensation at the soles of your feet, uh, the sound of my voice. Uh, All of these are more or less subtle objects. And attention is the directing of awareness to or towards those objects. In fact, the very word attention indicates its meaning, it comes from the the Latin a tendere, meaning a meaning to or towards and tendere meaning to stretch. So attention could be seen as the stretching of awareness towards an object of experience. Now, self inquiry is the opposite process. It is the relaxation of attention, the subsidence or the falling back of attention into its source. The presence of awareness from which it arises.
0: In Taoism or ancient China, they used to say that the chi follows the yi. Chi being the energy, and yi being the attention. I've heard a lot of people who are experienced, yes, yes, like yes. astral travelers and stuff. That's their little method. They, they, they shoot their attention out to something, and then the energy follows. And
1: it, exactly now, now what if? if the place towards which your attention was directed was the place from which your attention arose.
0: Was the place where your attention arose.
1: So you you, you talked about shooting your attention towards, uh, uh, um, in in the case of a traveler, a distant land.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then you embark on that journey from where you are towards your destiny.
0: Mm.
1: And what I'm suggesting is, what if your destiny is the place where you are?
0: Right, right What, now. what,
1: what journey would you make? What journey do you have to make from yourself to yourself?
0: You go inside. There's no journey.
1: You, you, if I were to ask you now, Kevin, stand up and take a step towards yourself, what would you do?
0: I'd say step yeah. where <laughs> <laughs>
1: you you wouldn't do anything. You you're already there,
0: right?
1: So th- that would be a a, a nice a nice um, analogy for for self inquiry or self or self more accurately self abidance, resting in your being as your being, without going away from yourself towards something, even if that something is a thought that is still a movement of yourself toward, it's a journey you take from yourself towards the thought. True self-abidance is resting in you awareness, resting in your own being, as your own being, resting as yourself. So strictly speaking, it can't even be considered a method or a practice. A method or a practice would always be a, a movement of yourself towards something. But, but to begin with, as a concession to one who has lost themselves in the content of their experience. In other words, they've taken a journey into a far off land like the prodigal son. But mm. this is what the story of the prodigal son is about. They, they, they've, they, they've gone to the furthest reaches of the kingdom. They've made this journey. Now they have to make the return journey. They have to come back to the palace. So that, that, that as a concession to the separate self, to, to, to one who is lost in the content of experience, it is legitimate, at least in the early stages, to, to suggest this return journey. Come back to yourself. Remember yourself. Uh, know your, Recognize yourself.
0: So how long, if somebody starts doing self-inquiry, let's say they sit down in a chair, like they were, you know, like a meditator would maybe, how long would they do self-inquiry? Can can you, I guess what I'm trying to say is, can you narrow it down to, okay, I'm going to do self-inquiry for 10 minutes every morning? Or do you just go without throughout your day and do it as the day unfolds?
1: I, I would suggest that one... Uh, puts a, aside some time each day let, let's let's say morning and evening if you have a busy working working life that, that before you embark on your day's activities and uh, in the evening when your day's activities have finished that you put by some time to just t- turn off your phone close the door um, close down your computer and and and, and close your eyes, sit on the on the floor or on a chair or, and, and ask yourself this question, who, who am I really? What is the nature of my being? What is it that cannot be removed from me? What is it that is always present? A, a question such as this. So that those would be uh, formal periods of meditation or self-inquiry. But I also suggest that numerous times during the day in between the gaps in our activities and there are numerous such gaps that we spend perhaps not 10 minutes perhaps two minutes or perhaps 10 seconds asking these these questions you in between you can have a busy day at work you may have 20 emails to to respond to in between each email pause just five seconds 10 seconds allow your attention to relax it's focus from, from the content of experience. Just allow your attention to come back, rest in being as being. 10 seconds and then embark on the next um, assignment. Uh, and to begin with, we feel that we, that we visit our being from time to time in between all our other activities. But but very quickly, we will realize that our being actually remains present, not just in between our activities, but in the midst of our activities in the background of all activities, so to speak. And in time, we we cease losing contact with our being during our activities. And then our whole day begins to be pervaded by the peace of our true nature, however busy a day we may have.
0: Can self-inquiry be considered contemplation or vice versa?
1: Yes, except it's a unique kind of contemplation where we are not contemplating the content of experience. We are contemplating the contemplator.
0: But it's under the umbrella of contemplation.
1: As long as it's correctly understood, yes. There's no reason why it shouldn't be. It's a unique... in, In a way, it's the the highest form of contemplation. Sure. But yes, it, 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 it could be considered contemplation, yes.
0: How about self-noting? Now, I've seen this self, practice too. self or noting. 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 Yeah, like the... the uh, I've seen this taught too, where you kind of dive into your thoughts. It's a form of witnessing, right? You watch your thoughts, and let's say something an image of a a car accident comes up, fear, fear. You know, the next image might be uh, you driving a Lamborghini, Uh, desire, desire. What about something like that? Do you just note it and let it go?
1: Yes. So that that practice, it it may be a valuable practice, but it's not self-inquiry or self-abidance, as we discussed uh, at the beginning, because in this case, you are observing the content of your experience, your thoughts. In this case, you're noting your thoughts or your feelings or sensations. I feel a a tightness in my throat or my belly or I feel a tension in my shoulders or I feel anxiety when I think of a particular person. These are We are observing sensations, feelings, thoughts, and I'm not meaning to imply that there's anything wrong with that, but it's not observing the observer. It's Mm. observing the observed. And it's very different In, in observing the observer. Attention is going back to its source in observing the content of experience. It is proceeding from its source and going towards the content of experience.
0: Yeah, it's probably more in line with like a Vipassana type thing. Yes, yes. Could that method be a good appetizer, so to speak, for self-inquiry?
1: It it could indeed be a prelude. Yes, yes, yes. Like if somebody
0: did self-noting slash Vipassana for, say, two weeks and then self-inquiry after that for two weeks.
1: Yes, it, it's more likely that someone may have been brought up in a, or practiced in a Vipassana tradition for some years and become very skilled at watching their thoughts, watching their breathing, watching their actions, watching their walking, and, and, and that at some point they felt that the, the need to go deeper. And as a result of that, they would then realize that there's, a, there's another direction in which the attention can go. Instead of always going towards our thoughts, feelings, sensations, perceptions, the attention can, we can observe the observer. It can begin to sink back in the other direction. So that would be a Vipassana in, in this case would be a kind of preparation or a prelude for this um, deeper form of meditation. Now, some people, as I said earlier, may come across it spontaneously. Someone who had practiced meditation for many years, for instance, may find that instead of sitting down for half an hour, repeating the, the, the meditation, you know, every like this, that they just sound the mantra once. And that's it that's enough to steady the wandering energies of their mind. Their mind comes to rest and it begins to subside spontaneously in its source. So so, so you it,
0: feel it, mantras can be a nice addition well, to somebody's I, practice?
1: I think a prelude to somebody's practice of self inquiry Affirmations,
0: takes, which are basically the it, same it, thing. In the
1: end, in the end, it would, if one, and I, I in fact, practiced mantra meditation for, for 20 years hmm. uh, because I didn't know about, about self inquiry. Uh, so it was a good, rather lengthy preparation for me. It's not necessary nowadays to have such a lengthy preparation, but what I'm suggesting is that, that one, one who practices a method like this may come spontaneously to, to self inquiry or they may need just the slightest hint from a friend in which case it would be the next natural step for them to take. Likewise, uh, affirmations, um, some of the great, uh, Mahavakyas, uh, that," or I am Brahman. These, uh, again, they are, they could be uh, preludes, preparations for the mind.
0: I recently had one, uh, that was, uh, I had to look at my board to remember, it says, I am loved by God. And uh, I was doing that. And uh, I yes. just started, I just started crying.
1: Yes, yes, no, that, that, that's a, that's a beautiful thought, I am loved by God. And uh, a thought like that can have a very powerful effect on the mind and uh, can be, a, a again, a, a preparation for uh, the subsidence of the one who is loved by God into God itself. So the, re- the, the recognition in the end is that there is, there is no I separate from God, either to be loved by God or not. However, as a compassionate concession to the separate self, the thought, I am loved unconditionally for God, is beautiful. It puts the separate self, the apparently separate self, in the right place in the re- in relationship to God and prepares it for its eventual subsidence in
0: God. Hmm. Are there any mindfulness exercises that someone can do to really get themselves grounded in the present moment. Some people like look at their hand and do certain things or Zen walking, stuff like that.
1: Yes. all, All the, the purposes of all such practices is to bring one's attention out of the past and the future into the present. And such practices can be very helpful for that because obviously one's walking or one's breathing is taking place now. It's not taking place two weeks ago or in two weeks time. So the mind that is following your walking or your breathing is by definition brought in out of the past and the future into the present, and that is a very good it's a good stepping stone, the next step having been brought out of the past and future into the now. The next step is for that mind then to dissolve into the heart of awareness. So these kind of mindfulness practices, again, especially in the early stages can be very helpful preparations.
0: It's funny how all these beautiful practices seem to all kind of lead up to self-inquiry.
1: Yes, uh, exactly. And all these practices have arisen over the centuries in response to people's difficulties with uh, sinking the mind into the heart of awareness or in religious language to surrendering oneself entirely to God's presence. So in response to people's difficulties, the teachings, the traditions elaborated various practices. Okay, if it's, if it's too hard for you to do that, just focus on your breath. Just focus on your breath for 10 minutes. Then and that immediately brings a degree of relief. The person is no longer worrying about their, their job, their family, their home, their money, their health, their, 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 just, their, their mind has come to rest on a neutral, transparent object, in this case, the breath mimics the transparency of awareness and is as such a, a kind of preparation. So these, all these practices have evolved as compassionate concessions to the individuals who struggled with the, the, the this direct subsidence of the mind in the heart of awareness and as such, they are entirely legitimate.
0: Hmm. What about reprogramming of the subconscious? This is a big topic right now out there. Uh the work of like Dr. Joe Dispenza and Dr. Bruce Lipton and these guys who you know are they're they're not necessarily coming at it from a enlightenment self-realization aspect. They're coming at it from a everyday Joe has a subconscious and it's like a program that's been developed and and now you can kind of reprogram it by using visualization and mental rehearsals and I mean wh- what do you think about these practices cuz they're getting very popular hypnosis yes. type stuff
1: yes well th- they they are uh, undoubtedly um, successful to an extent but the 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 ultimate program that is running in us is the belief that we are temporary finite separate selves now if that belief is not uprooted through understanding then however we may reprogram the contents of our mind conscious or unconscious the 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 primary program will still be running and will continue to generate conscious and so-called unconscious material. Hmm. So I don't mean to imply that it's not a, a, a valid uh, um, practice or endeavor, and that it may not have some beneficial results. I'm sure it does. But uh, ultimately, the, the, the primary program on which the mind's activity is based must be clearly seen and in time dissolved, that, that this that this um, self-abidance is, is, in a way, the ultimate reprogramming of both the conscious and the unconscious contents
0: of our minds. Before I ask my last question, uh, where can people come find you if they want to learn more about Rupert Spira?
1: I think the first place, Kevin, would be to go to my YouTube channel. Um, there are uh, oh, an embarrassing number of YouTube clips. I'm afraid I've forgotten how many, but there must be There's three or four hundred YouTube clips, and they oh, yeah. can come, There's, it's free, they can watch you know, to their heart's content to, to see if this approach um, resonates with them. And then probably the next step would be to come to a webinar you know, for, for, for a couple of dollars, you can, you can uh, uh, attend a, a, a webinar to our meeting. We have a guided meditation opportunity to have a conversation such as this and ask questions. And then, of course, there are, there are longer uh, meetings, all, all, all on Zoom at the moment, uh, weekend meditations, five-day retreats online, this sort of thing. And hopefully in the not too, too distant future, uh, live retreats in Europe and America.
0: My last question is, what is non-duality?
1: Non-duality is the the understanding that really underlies all the great religious and spiritual traditions, sometimes referred to as the the perennial philosophy. And it it consists, if you were to distill the non-dual understanding into two statements, it would uh, sound like this. Peace and joy are the nature of your being. And you share your being with everyone and everything. Hmm. That, that's 3,000 years of non-dual philosophy in a nutshell. That's basically what all the great religious and spiritual traditions are saying. What? The first statement refers to our inner life, our, our, our longing for peace and happiness. And in response to that longing, the non-dual understanding says peace and happiness are the very nature of your being. That's where to find joy and peace. And then the second statement it refers to our, our external experience, our, our experience of others, people, animals, and, and the world. And it says simply that you share your being with everyone and everything. In other words, what, what, what we essentially are is the same being that everyone and everything essentially is. And this is the the experience that we know as love or beauty. That's what the experiences of love and beauty are that the, the recognition that we share our being with everyone and everything. That's it. If you've understood that, if one has really understood that happiness is the nature of one's being, and one's being is shared with everyone and everything, then one has really understood the entire non-dual tradition. All that remains is to lead a life to the best of our ability in a way that is consistent with this understanding.
0: Well said. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Kevin, thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure to spend spend some time with you. I wish you the very best.
0: Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time. May peace be with you.